Thank you. You can be seated. Wow. He's right. I was just sitting there thinking, I have been coming for years and years and years. I have seen the little kids. I've seen Dave's little kids grow up. And now they've got their own kids. I've seen that. I've seen the church grow and expand. I have seen Sally stay 21 forever. Unbelievable. I have seen this man and his lovely wife, Sharon, go through stuff that you wouldn't want to go through but remain loyal, true, focused. I think the next period for your church is going to be outstanding. I've seen this church just grow, and today it was like, what a new sound, well, not a new sound, but what a clarity of sound in the service when you're singing and worshiping and praising God. It's just a new thing, and I'm very excited about what the future has for you guys. So thank you, Julian, Sharon, for letting me in your house again today, because I usually get into a bit of trouble. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that I don't do that today with you guys, that I behave myself a little bit, okay? Because uh, there's people, who's never heard me preach or teach before? Anybody at all? Oh, only a handful of people, and you've come back. The Others have come back. That's fantastic. So that's a good start. Um, I want to get started straight away, and I'm going to read you four scriptures, and then I want you to follow me as we go on a bit of a journey together. Is that okay? So here's the first one I want to read. It's found in John 20, verse 5. And he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen that were lying there, but did not go in. I might have jumped the verse. Uh, Luke 10, 31, 32 says, A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw a man, he passed by. So too a Levite passed by. John 13, 8. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What does all that mean? Are you ready for the journey? When you read in the Bible anything pretty much, there's always a context. If you don't get the background or the context right, you can sometimes misunderstand what's being said. You know, when Paul wrote Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, books like this, he was writing to a group of people in the church called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics were, they knew everything. So he was, but they didn't believe in the divinity of Jesus. So he often talked about the divinity of Jesus, the greatness of who Jesus was. So a lot of those verses that we read are inspired by from Paul comes out of that context. Now, the context that Jesus had, most of these verses come from the context Jesus was working within, which was the Gospels, four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so Jesus' context was a little bit different. For example, Paul traveled almost globally, really, you might say. He was geographically everywhere. Jesus was limited geographically. Jesus kept his ministry to 12. Paul influenced hundreds and thousands of people. Um, Jesus invented the idea of the church, but Paul planted churches. Jesus spoke the word church, never really did much with it after that. Paul picked it up and ran with what the church meant. If you really want to understand what church is about, you've really got to read Pauline epistles because that's where it's all established, structured, where we find out how we work together. Jesus spoke the word and it happened. Typical of the creator. Does that make sense? Now, Jesus is dealing with a Jewish context. The Jewish context was 
very defined and very religious, as you can imagine. They had this procedure that was very common to them called ritual cleansing. It was huge for them. Everything they did before they did it, they had to prepare through ritual cleansing, the washing of hands, the washing of feet, the washing of this, the washing of that. And everything was about water and being washed. That's why Jesus talked a lot about water. He talked about rivers of living water coming out of us. Rather than water being thrown on us, he talked about it coming out of us. He talked about the river of life and things like this because water was surrounding their whole traditional value set. Well, Jesus uh, in this time was dealing with a group of people or the Jewish nation who believed in ritual cleansing to the highest level. Everything they did was about this ritual cleansing. You know the high priests who sort of governed the religious times, they would often have these deep, big pools in their houses, not one, but three or four of them, where they would go into the pool. This is what would happen all the time. They would go into the pool, be ritually cleansed. Now, they went down a set of stairs above their head, down below, and then had to go out another set of stairs because if they went out the stairs they came in on, then they were unclean and had to do the whole procedure all over again. These pools were filthy, dirty, murky, unclean water. You wouldn't drink it. You wouldn't even swim in it normally because of the hot conditions. It went stagnant. See, the problem was for them wasn't the issue of the water cleansing. It was the religious symbols that it created for them in doing this procedure. So whenever they went around, they would be, have to be cleansed by this water, this process. And you can imagine how that relates even today to some of us. There's many people who think that Christianity is about, or religion to some degree, is all about religious process. It's things I do or don't do. There's still people today who believe, if I do this right, God will accept me. If I do this wrong, he won't accept me. And here's the gospel in its kernel. The gospel in its kernel is he doesn't, we don't, he, we don't have to bring ourselves to God and hope that he accepts us. We accept him through Jesus. So here's our work in this. We just accept what Jesus did. See, when you believe that Jesus accepts uh, who I am, then you have to be perfect enough to be accepted. So you have to do religious stuff to be accepted by God. I wasn't acceptable to God. You probably weren't acceptable to God. But we accepted what Jesus did on the cross. That's good news. I'm not involved in that. He did it all. I receive it and I'm cleansed. But there's still people, maybe you're here this morning, first time or been a few times. What do I have to do to be right before God? What do I have to do to be able to talk to Him, communicate to Him? Why are all these people, these happy clappies, as we call them, these people just loving what they're doing. Well, here's why. Because they haven't come on their own merit. They've come on his merit. The gospel is I bring nothing to the cause. He brings everything to the cause. The gospel is I'm never going to be good enough. But he's perfect in every way. The gospel is I don't have to pay a price. He paid a price. The gospel is I don't have to lose anything in terms of physicality. He lost it all in his death so I could have life. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the good news. I love that. Now, let me explain the four verses we talked about in that context. The first verse was talking about them going into the tomb. These two disciples ran to the tomb because they'd heard that Jesus has been resurrected. So they wanted to go and see the fulfillment of everything they believed. Now, here's what happens. They run to the tomb 
but one of them doesn't go in. Now, you'd imagine at that moment, in the climax of all that it meant to them in the story of Jesus, that they'd just rush to the moment. Isn't that amazing that one of them held back? Well, I'll tell you why. Ritual cleansing held him back. He didn't want to go into the, into the tomb because it meant he'd have to go home and go through hours of ritual cleansing. So he kept himself a little bit guarded from this. Isn't it amazing how many people miss the power of what Jesus has done because they want to protect themselves from something? That there's something standing in the way of enjoying all the benefits of what Jesus did because they're holding something back. And that's what happened in this story. The next one was the story of the Levite and the, um, uh, one of the um, uh, high priests of the time. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, so many of you will know it. A man had been beaten up lying on the road, and these two religious leaders, a, a, a Levite and a priest, came down the road. They saw the man, and they crossed to the other side of the road. Now, when I was sort of learning about these passages, I was told that shows you how religious leaders see the needy. They really don't care that much. They look at the needy, and they cross the other side. That's not the essence of this story. The essence of this story is ritual cleansing. See, if they had have touched that man or gone near that man, they were already on a journey to Jericho, probably to do some religious work. And if they had, they would have had to go back home, spend maybe a full day getting there, go through the process of rich. Their problem was just they were consumed by the need to follow religious pattern. That's all it was. All of us could have fallen into that, but it was just consumed by the need to follow religious pattern. How many people in the world today are missing the point of Jesus because they're consumed by following religious patterns, praying five times a day, doing the right things, exercising the right programs so that God might be well pleased. And we miss the essence of who he is. The third story, which is often confused, is the story of Peter being washed by Jesus, his feet being washed. You remember they went out and they came back to the, and they make, we make a mistake with this verse because we often say it's servant leadership. And Jesus comes into the house, they've been on a dusty road, and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. And, they, and Peter, bipolar Peter, I call him bipolar Peter because he's up and then he's down and then he's up and then he's down, he's yay, and then he's no, and then he's yeah, he's, that's Peter. Bipolar ministry is called as you up and you're down. I don't know what that is, but it's, you can get pills for it today. And he needed those things because that was Peter. So he's sitting there and he says to Jesus, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, I can wash none of you. Meaning pointing to the cross, pointing to the work of Jesus, cleansing him. Peter goes, wash all of me then. Jewish, he understood the mindset of what was going on. We've made it servant leadership when it's not. It's actually about Cleanse it, ritual cleansing. The last passage in Hebrews is the one I want to read again to you with all of that in mind. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 again. Hebrews, God loves coffee, Hebrews. That's an old joke, but it's a good one, isn't it? Don't you think, Hebrews? Okay, this is what it says. Let us draw near with a sincere heart. Now watch this, with full assurance that faith brings. And then, because Hebrews is written to the Hebrews, the Jews, so they understand this. So they go, having therefore, because of this, our hearts sprinkled, that's with water, to cleanse us from guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. He now moves, 
Paul, the writer here, moves from the idea of religious exercise to faith. He says the issue of moving into what God wants for you is not any longer doing certain things, the results there, but it's faith that Have it in faith. See, faith changes everything. Faith is what it's all about today. Today, when I, when, when I received Christ when I was a young man, it was by faith, not by ritual. If I did ritual stuff, I'd never be here today. But because of faith, believing what Jesus had done, receiving, well, what's faith? Well, it's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I'm seeing it in Jesus. I'm hoping it will take place. We heard about hope today and how powerful it is. And then I receive it by faith and I'm changed. See, ladies and gentlemen, today, if you're not a Christian, if you're backslidden, if you're away from God, if you're not walking with Him, if things aren't right, it's not about practice, it's about faith. If you get faith connections right, everything changes. If you get the faith ignited in your heart, everything changes. And so when I received Christ as you did, it was by faith rather than religious exercise. By faith, everything changes. But, but I don't understand everything. That's why it's called faith. Yeah, but I don't, I don't get it all. That's why it's called faith. If you're here today and you don't get it all and there's things you'd rather do that you understand, then you're missing the power of faith. Faith changes it all. Faith is the ignition point. Yeah, but shouldn't I understand it all before I do anything? Well, that's part of discipleship. Once by faith you have received, then you unpack what you believe. Hello? That's what happened to most of us. It's a faith thing. Today, my message is not about ritual cleansing. It's about faith. I want to talk to you today about the power of what faith is. This is, as you can see, a church filled with faith. You heard it from the announcement time, right through to the offering time, right through to, to the way that uh, Julian was talking. It's a faith church. So let's figure out today what is the greatest faith of all. Let's go on that journey and discover that. Because one thing I know, that doing religious exercise, doing the things that seem right, changes nothing. Faith changes everything. Oh, that's what I reckon too. So here's, here, let me define the faith that the, the Scripture talks about. Here's the first one, faith as a doctrine. You can't just genericize faith in the Scripture. You have to pull it down a bit and have a look at it. Here's the first one, faith as a doctrine. Jude 1.3 says, I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. Now, this faith is talking about your doctrinal faith. Well, what, what do you mean by doctrinal faith? Well, we call it today a statement of faith. This church has a statement of faith. If you go on their webpage, you can find it there. It talks about things like the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, what's, when's the last time we heard a great message on the Trinity? The God three in one, God ever presence in three, the social God, the dance of the Trinity sometimes it's called. That, that's a doctrine. We believe that just like every other church in the world believes in that. We believe in, in, in uh, salvation through Christ. We believe in the Word of God. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those things are normalized in our life, and we believe like everyone else. In fact, actually, let me help you here if you're first time in a church like this. This is the church on steroids. Let me tell you that right now. It is the church on steroids. This church has a doctrine of faith or a, a belief system of faith that is no different to the Lutherans, to the Baptists, or anyone else. The only difference is how we practice it. So you could be mistaken to think when you come to a service like this, 
These people are really strange in what they believe. No, we believe in the same things everyone else does. But we practice what we believe differently. We're not stuck in a time zone, for example. We're not stuck in a, in a religious practice. We're not so everything is free and enjoyable, and it should be enjoyed. It's, it's, it's about living the life that Christ has given us. But our doctrine of faith, which we should stand for and believe for, is not how we, it's not how we become, we don't become rigid and fixed by that. We enjoy the moment with Christ. So the first one is the statement of faith. Here's the second one, believing faith. Matthew 9, 29. I love this one. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to, to you, your faith, according to your faith, it will be done to you. You know, Lovely was talking. What a lovely name, Lovely. Do you get that all the time, I guess? I'm not going to do that again. You were talking about it a bit today. Almost like a pushing in faith, a pressing in faith. Faith to believe. It's different to the faith I want to talk about at the end of this. But this faith is powerful. It's the believing faith. It's where you step out, as you said, and you go for something greater than what's already. You know, somebody said to me the other day, why is it that when you go to some countries uh, overseas, you see miracles happen all the time? But in Scandinavia, we never see miracles. We have no faith. I said, oh, no, you, you have faith. You just have faith in the wrong things. When you get sick, you believe when you make the phone call to the hospital, an ambulance will turn up in about three minutes. When you get to the hospital, you believe there'll be a very, you have faith in the fact there's a well-trained doctor there. When you have the medication from them, you have faith that that medication will work. And it's usually free on the system. Hello. But somebody in these other countries, when they get sick, they have none of that. So they only have faith in God. And they see that work in their lives because that's where their faith is. It's practiced every day because there's no... So we have faith in the system and not in God. We need to have more faith in God than the system. That's why we have prayer requests. That's why she talked like she did. It's the hope that we have that we talked about. But now, I learned this as a young minister, um, as you do. I, I'd planted a couple of churches, and my wife and I moved to become in charge of a college or run a college, Bible college in Melbourne. But we were associate pastors in a large church at the same time. Now, this church had just gone through the process of building a massive building, about eight or 900 seats. This is going back 35, maybe 40 years. And uh, I was young, and the guy who was running the church is still today an amazing man of God and, and doing amazing things in Australia. He's a little older now, but he's an amazing guy. And he built that. He'd run out of money. He had no more money left. People had given what they had to do. We didn't have lights, you know, hanging lights, desks or anything. And his office overlooked the whole of the um, land that they had purchased. And I, I remember he had a little intercom, and he'd ring, me, he'd ring on the intercom to me, and he'd say, uh, now we just text, but he had an intercom. So he'd, he'd intercom me, Wilson. He always called me Wilson. I felt like that basketball in that Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> that one. Every time I just get, and I, he just called me, get up to my office here. I want to talk to you about it. So we get up and he's looking out the window and he says, do you know, Wilson, I'm believing that God will put footpaths all around this building here. And I said, great. If you, what are you going to do? Get some money. Are you going to raise some more money? He said, we've got no money. We've used all the money. I'm believing by faith. I said, are you believing by faith for footpaths? Well, this is a massive building. Yeah, by faith. I said, okay, do you want to pray with me about that? Yeah, and I'm sort of trying to work out how he's going to do this. I was young. I didn't know. I just watched. 
About three months later, I go and drive into work, and there is concrete trucks everywhere pouring parts. They're all around the building. And I, I run up to his office, and I said, what happened? Did somebody give you some money? I said, I'm, not, I'm believing my faith for this. I'm not paying for these parts. Well, how did that happen? He said, this is what happened. Some time after we prayed together, a young man got saved in our church. He became a Christian. And he came to me and he said, I would really love to help you in the church, but I don't have anything to offer much. What can I do? And he said to him, what do you do for a job? He said, I lay concrete paths. <laughs> and he said, well, I'll tell you what I want. I want concrete paths around the whole of my building, but I'm not paying for them. And the guy said, done. And he came in and laid the whole lot. Fantastic. I love that. Because the system says, the system says, how much is in my bank account? The system says, how much am I drawing in a salary? The system says, what savings have I got? But actually, faith says beyond that, I can do better and bigger things. That's, that's Julian Malfi in a nutshell, by the way. And his team, they're amazing. They believe for stuff nobody else, especially with buildings, and we honour that, as you know, with you guys, just ploughing through this stuff. That's the faith that takes you everywhere you need to go. Anyway, about six months later, I get called up again. Wilson, I get up there, and, he's, and we had a, a, he had a car park, but it was it, like a meteorite had hit this car park. There's a big hole in the middle, and, you, and just huge. You needed a hill or a mountain to fill it, really. And he said, I'm believing God to fill that hole free and put a car park there. Now, I'm not stupid anymore. So, oh, me too. I'm just right in. We should pray that through. And so we prayed. Well, I come back about two months later, and there's trucks bringing soil in, all of this stuff's going on. And I, said, I went up to his office and said, what happened now? He said, well, you won't believe it, but the local council was uh, making a new road, and uh, they had to uh, take this hill away. And they came to me and said, can we put that hill in that hole? And if you let us do that, we'll seal it and tar seal it so you can use it as a car park. He said, well, I need to think about that a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I love that sort of faith. It's believing faith. What are you believing for? What am I believing for above the normal? We need to return to that, as you were saying. Let's return to that perseverance of faith, believing for more. As you go into new things, believe God for greater things, not just what the system can do. Here's the next one. It's found in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. It's called faith as a gift to another faith. There are 21 gifts in the Bible. Actually, some, probably more for some. But anyway, we'll stay with that amount. So in this room today, there are all those gifts represented. What's a gift? A gift is given by the Holy Spirit through, by Christ to, through the Holy Spirit free of charge. It's like receiving salvation. Well, well what, what, how does that work? Well, a gift is something you can do in a greater measure than in your normal practice. So I can serve, but if I have the gift of serving, I'm abnormal in it. I can do greater things. Faith is another one. It talks about the gift of faith as we've got on the screen. I can do faith, but greater. Have you met people who have a gift of giving? They don't have a lot, but they have this gift of giving that's beyond what is normal. They are graced to give beyond. So they have gifts of teaching, prophecy, faith, healing, all these things. They are beyond what is normal. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you. I love that about the church because we don't build a church on talent alone. We build the church on the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to the house. And you have many of them here 
all of them are represented here. That's how we build a great church. And when those gifts are released, things change. So maybe some of you today have a heightened ability of the gift of faith. But there's another type of faith, and it's found in Galatians 5.22, where it talks about faith as a fruit. This is a great one. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, here's the difference between gifts and fruit. Gifts are given by God unmerited. Fruit has to grow from seed. Notice in those uh, fruit there, not one of them's a gift. There's no gift of love. There's no gift of joy. There's no gift of goodness. You have to sow that sucker to reap that fruit. It doesn't just get given. I wish there was a gift of patience because then I could say I didn't get that one. That's what I'd be able to say. But, but I can't say that because you have to sow patience. You have to keep sowing it and sowing it. Listen to me carefully. The opposite of the fruit are very interesting. For example, the opposite of love is hate. The opposite of joy is depression. The opposite of peace is disturbed spirit. The opposite of, of patience is impatience. Here's what I believe is happening. I'm going to say this. Sometimes as Christians, we make the mistake of thinking the system has a, a pill or a way of resolving these things where the Bible tells us sow seed of those things. You've got to sow seed. So we get people who automatically feeling a certain way, and I, I'm not saying these things are wrong, but they'll go to a clinic, get a pill for it, when actually, biblically, we just got to sow it. You have to sow it, sow it, sow it, sow it, sow it, sow it, sow it. If you, if you say, well, I, I don't feel love around here. Sow love, sow love, sow love, sow love. Well, I'm not a joy-filled person or where's the joy? Sow joy, sow joy, sow joy. And then you begin to reap it. And people say, where'd you get that from? I don't know. I just kept sowing. I just kept sowing. And it produced fruit in my life. I'm not a very patient person. Those of you who know me, I'm, actually, I don't. On a scale of one to 10, I'm about a minus nine on patience. I don't like cues. I don't sit in cues. Most of you who know me, Sally's heard the stories before. You've been that long here, Sally? Since you're 21, you're still 21, but you know what I mean. I just can't do cues. I'm sorry, but I have a little card, of ordin an ordination card from the Assemblies of God in Australia. This gives me right to access heaven through a door where there's no cues. I can just go around and just present the card and go straight in. Fantastic. Because I can't do cues. And... And I can't, I just, when we go out for dinner and we're in a queue, the family sit me down. You sit over there, we'll go get it because we're not doing queues. I'm not doing queues. But can you think if I didn't sow patience and I'm driving along in my car and there's a truck or a tractor in front of me and I'm, I'm not sowing patience. I could pull out suddenly because I'm so irritated, pull out suddenly, zoom off, hit somebody, damage somebody or my own self because I didn't sow what I needed to sow. I can't say Where's the gift of patience? I can only say I didn't sow patience. Is there anything different with faithfulness? See, we talk about this as a, as a thing. We talk about, hey, remember the house of God. Turn up. And there's a lot of people to say, oh, it's not about faithfulness anymore. It's not about those things. It's about how I feel. If I don't feel like I want to go to the house of God, that's okay because God's interested in my feelings. Actually, he's interested in what you sow. And sometimes getting out of bed and struggling to do that stuff and getting organized with all of that is part of the seed sowing we do to produce the faithfulness that changes everything. I haven't got any little kids anymore, 
I've got rid of them. We, we, we just got rid of them and they're gone now. Praise Jesus. There is hope for many of you. But those kids of ours have produced two grandchildren. Dave, I think you have 17. 17 that you know of. He's got 17 grandchildren that he knows of. That is, I can't believe a man that looks like you has 17 and seven children too. 777, that's amazing. That's a godly number. Don't do that stuff. And so we have these two grandchildren and, and our children will often leave them with us over a weekend because they want to go away and we get to take them to church. Oh my goodness, I tell you what, there's something about that. I used to be quite, uh, you know, with people with kids, you know, how, well, come on, just bring your kids. It's not that hard. Then we had to do it one day and we had to take this three-year-old and this five-year-old to church. It takes two hours. It's amazing how that three-year-old boy can delete most of the apps on my phone, get into YouTube and watch something, but can't put his shoes on the right way round. It is phenomenal how he does that. And it takes him one hour to get dressed. Unbelievable. And I'm like, we're running around, we had to pack lunch, and we get them in the car and I said to my wife, I don't know how people do this. I don't even know why they do this. But I want to help you here. When you do this stuff, as we do and will continue to do, it's about a seed you sow. You're not only sowing it in your life, you're sowing it in their life. That routine, Dave was saying something good today in the car. Doesn't happen very often, but this time he did. And he said, he said, I'm sorry, Dave, that's not true. You say lots of good things. Actually, he gave me a lot of tips today on some stuff he didn't even know that I was writing down in my, in my um, spiritual notepad, which he can't see. Anyway, um, he said, the power of routine is a very important thing to have in our life. But we tend to want to get rid of it, but there's routines that are just good. One of the routines is the house of God. The book of Hebrews says that in some will neglect the gathering of themselves together in the last days, or particularly as the day approaches. Some will neglect getting together on Sundays, particularly as the day approaches. The signs of the last days aren't earthquakes and tornadoes and global warming. It's people who choose not to come to the house too. I don't want to be a sign of the last days. Just thought I'd say that one, just drop that in. Even with our little kids, what are we doing? We're sowing, we're sowing, we're sowing, we're sowing, we're sowing, we're sowing. But let me talk to you now about what I believe is the greatest faith of all, the best one, the one that we're here for today, the one that changes everything. It's this one found in 1 Peter 1.9. It says there, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is the greatest faith out of all of those? The greatest faith to me is that one where somebody who has very little to offer, they have a life that is messed up and screwed up and, and it's not working any longer. And they by faith receive Jesus into their life. Then all those other faiths can begin to work. But they can't without that one. That initial moment where they receive Christ and everything changes is the thing that makes a difference. That's what changes it all. Why are we here today? We're here today gathering in this place and hopefully more times so that, and you sang it today, that one, and I love what was said by the worship leader when he talked about this is our local turf because that's where we start, where one, two, three, receive Christ by faith and their lives are changed. You can build the buildings and you can do the things, but what's it all for? The salvation of souls, for people to receive Christ. 
A man came to Jesus. His name was Blind Bartimaeus. He was blind and he came and he said, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? It's an amazing thing. He asked that every time. What do you want me to do for you? Imagine if blind, the blind man had said, I want a new horse and a house. What would Jesus say? Ah, just joking. You're healed anyway. <laughs> he would have said, go home. There's a horse and a house there. So he's asking the deepness. And somebody talked about that. Maybe you again, the desires of your heart. Heart. <laughs> he said, I want to be made whole. I want to see. So what does Jesus do? He spits on the ground, makes a pile of clay, mud, and then whacks it on his face. Now, how bad can it be? Not only can't you see, but you've got mud in your eyes. You've got it all over your face. And then he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So this blind man is walking down the road with mud on his face. You can imagine the passbys. Oh, look at the guy. He's blind. And he's fallen in the mud too. What? That's what happens. What is that? And this guy's got mud all over him. And he knows it looks bad. Well, here's the thing. There's a, there's a thing in this. The world is blind. They can't see where they're going. There's people today, maybe in these services, who are blind. You can't see where you're going. But worse, you have the muck of the world all over you. You have the filth of this society all over you. The stuff you've done. He gets to the pool of Siloam. Now, the pool of Siloam was not a little pool with little fish, goldfish in it, with a little bit of seaweed on the top, and you just splashed around in there. This was a massive pool. This was huge. Hundreds of people were doing ritual cleansing Every day, they've dug it up now. You can see it if you go to Israel. And you would step down into that pool, go under the waters, be cleansed. This man cleansed his face, but he didn't turn around and came out the way he went up, came in. He went out the other side, brand new, changed, instantly reformed, and he could see again. The muck's gone, he can see again. That's the faith that changes it. And I want to help you today. That's the faith some of you guys could connect to today. The faith that changes your circumstances. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you today for the fact that faith changes these things for us. Faith turns things around. And I know today there are people in this place maybe who are away from you. Maybe they don't know you. They're not walking with you. Their secret to understanding who you is, is not religious exercise. It's a moment of faith. Just while eyes are closed here today and you're meditating on these thoughts, let me reaffirm to you again, we're all been like blind Bartimaeus where we have not been able to see where we should be going. We're covered in the muck of the world and stuff that we've done and decisions we've made. But the greatest faith of all today is the one where you just don't know everything you need to know about who Jesus is, but you know you need Him now. That faith, it's not religious exercise, but that faith that changes everything. I want to give you opportunity this, this morning to say, Scott, I, I want to exercise that faith in my life. I want to know Him. I want to be changed by this moment. I want that faith to change me. And this is all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to, <clears throat> in a moment, I'm going to count to, to, to three. And when I get to three, if you would say, you're talking about me, I need to exercise faith now, not religious exercise. I just need to know Him. I'm like blind Bartimaeus. I've backslid and walked away. When I get to the number three, I want you to just lift up your hand. Why would we do that? Well, when you lift up your hand, it's like reaching out in a turbulent sea. If you're out in the sea and you get stuck in the water and you can't 
see where you've got to be. You're, you're losing hope. You reach out your hand and somebody sees the hand and pulls you up. It's called a lifesaver. Your lifesaver today isn't stuff. It isn't things. It isn't the system. It's faith in Him. <clears throat> Here we go. One. I'm talking to people today who don't know Jesus. You're not walking with Him. You're not a Christian maybe. But you say, I need a change. And I can, just with the glimmer of faith, reach out to Him. Two. Maybe you're backslidden today, away from God. You're not walking with Him. But you would say, Jesus, I want to receive you into my life. Here we go. Three. Just lift up your hand. If you'd say, that's me. I'm receiving by faith. Quickly now, just raise your hand and say, that's me. Anybody at all? Thank you. Anybody else? Quickly raise your hand. Anybody else? We have to get this service closed. There's another one coming. But this is an eternal decision right now. One person has said, that's me. By faith, I want to receive it. Thank you. Another one up the back. This is not about this moment. This is about everything that happens in our life. Is there, there are others here today. Quickly, by faith. You don't need to understand it all. You just need to know. I'm like that blind man. I need to reach out and touch him. Anybody else quickly today, just reach out and say, that's me. Anybody else here? All right. Father, you see the hands today that are reaching out by faith. There's no religion in it all at all. They're just reaching out by faith. I pray that this moment will ignite in their heart <clears throat> new opportunity, new sight, a new way of seeing things, and that they might rejoice in all that God has done for them. Amen. Give, let's give those people a big encouragement right now. Fantastic.